Welcome. You are listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, and this is Rabbi Elliot Cosgrove. While it's always better to hear it live, this is a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. Enjoy our latest installment. Shabbat Shalom. As former National Security Advisor and Secretary of State, as recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize, the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the Medal of Liberty, and not a little bit of controversy, at 99 years old, Kanahara, I would venture to say that there is nobody alive today who knows more about leadership, its promises and perils than Henry Kissinger. So when I heard recently that he was having a book talk about his latest on the subject of leadership, it was too good of an opportunity for me to pass up. If you've seen the book or read the reviews, then you know that the book's not so much about Kissinger's own leadership, but rather six studies by Kissinger about other world leaders, Conrad Adenauer, Charles de Gaulle, Richard Nixon, Anwar Sadat, Lee Kuan Yew, and Margaret Thatcher. I had a marvelous time at the event, and the book is terrific. I'm enjoying it thoroughly, learning not just about leaders themselves, but about Kissinger's thoughts on what makes particular leaders great leaders. Kissinger explained that he chose these six and not others because he had had substantial contact with each of them. So while I might quibble as a rabbi that he didn't profile the most famous and best leader of all, Moses, I have to concede that no matter how old Kissinger may be, he probably did not know Moses personally. (laughs) Which leaves me with the following question, always good to ask, but especially this week as we read Moses' valedictory song towards the end of the Torah. Had Kissinger included Moses in his book, how would he have measured up to Kissinger's leadership principles? Never again, the Bible writes, did there arise in Israel a prophet like Moses. As a people, it is a bar of Moses's leadership by which we measure all other leaders. This morning, I want to put the two in dialogue, Kissinger and Moses, synthesizing the two and identify five leadership lessons as we enter the new year. Number one, the relationship between leadership and meritocracy. Of the six leaders Kissinger profiles, none came from an aristocratic or noble background. Adenauer's father was a clerk and an officer in the Prussian army. De Gaulle's father was a school teacher. Nixon the product of a lower middle-class upbringing, Sadat, the son of a clerk, you, a scholarship student, and Thatcher, the daughter of a grocer. Each one had to hard-scrabble their way up the meritocracy to arrive at the roles they would eventually come to play, nothing given to them with a silver spoon. Kissinger reasons that it was a very humble background's of these leaders that enabled them ultimately to negotiate the insider-outsider status of their future political lives. 
their humble origins granting them perspective, a sort of ballast as they ascended to power and ability to challenge the establishment even as they became part of it. And when politically useful, leverage the narrative of their lives to rally the very people they sought to lead. Even in power, they could lay claim to the everyman or every woman status. Now, turning to Moses, any study of our greatest leader begins with his peculiar and somewhat blended origins. On the one hand, born into the lowliest Leblot, an enslaved and totally unremarkable household. On the other hand, raised in the household of Pharaoh, an Israelite slave and royalty, the double helix of Moses' DNA. It's only when Moses sees the Israelite slave being beaten by the Egyptian taskmaster and Moses identifies him as his kinsman and strikes the Egyptian down that the two elements of his identity snap into place and Moses becomes Moses. Had Moses have just been another slave, his leadership would not have taken, nor had he have been an outsider, would Moses have been accepted by the people. Moses was able to be Moses because, like Kissinger's leaders, he was able to do both, in Kipling's words, to walk with kings but never lose the common touch. Number two, and not unrelated to number one, the power of vision. Each leader Kissinger profiles possessed a penetrating sense of reality and a powerful vision. Sadat and Nixon both understood the cost of the painful wars they had inherited from their predecessors and both offered alternative visions of the future. So too Thatcher and Adenauer well understood the differences between their circumstances and those that preceded them. They all had a vision for the future very different than their present. It wasn't just that they didn't accept the status quo or were willing to shake things up. It was that they were able to articulate a hitherto unrealized vision to their people they were leading. Kissinger writes of those leaders in possession of prophetic vision, the unreasonable men like Gandhi, Robespierre, and Joan of Arc, to whom George Bernard Shaw credits all progress. They and those profiled by Kissinger all possess this quality. And so did Moses. Moses was not blessed with the gift of speech. As a person who went through years of, of, of speech therapy, um, I always loved the fact that Moses had a speech impediment. Moses was not really a people person, hitting Egyptians, hitting rocks, breaking tablets. Moses was not a guy you wanted to have a beer with. Moses was also not a statesman. He may have been the right person to lead Israel out of Egypt, but he was not the person to help them govern as they set up shop in the promised land. But what Moses did have was vision and the ability to share it. Moses was the one who convinced the people enslaved for hundreds of years that there could be a reality different than their present one. This is, according to our people, the very mark of a prophet, not just to warn people of impending doom or urge them to change their ways, but to inspire them to imagine a world as it ought to be, and then, of course, to help them make that vision a reality. Which brings us to number three, taking bold action, or more specifically, taking bold action in the face of naysayers. Thatcher dispatched the Royal Navy to recover 
the Falklands, in the midst of an economic crisis and in the face of doubters. Nixon opened up to China and negotiated with the Soviet Union, despite a host of voices telling him to do otherwise. De Gaulle, according to his biographer, acted as if, quote, France was larger, more unified, and more confident than it really was. Each leader, Kissinger profiles, acted boldly and decisively, even when it came with risk, even if it was pop unpopular, and even if it was divisive. Each one was willing, in Kiss Kissinger's estimation, to offend entrenched interests and alienate important constituencies, with some, like Sadat, paying the ultimate price. Such, writes Kissinger, is the price of making history. Moses, if nothing else, was bold. Moses, of course, began his career with self-doubt. We know that from the burning bush. And yet, as he hit his stride, standing before Pharaoh, producing plague after plague, demanding, let my people go, crossing the sea, time and again, Moses stepped up with bold leadership. He did so when he had the will of the people behind him, and he did so when he had to come down hard on the people. The golden calf, the rebellion of Korach, the sin of the spies, and any number of challenging moments. Kissinger explains that the mark of a great leader is the ability to communicate hard truths. Moses was a leader who was willing to tell it like it is. I can't imagine Moses caring about polling data. For all the courage it must have taken him to assert a bold vision to the slaves, I can only imagine the toll it took when he had to tell the desert generation that it would be their children, but not they themselves, who would enter the promised land. Leadership is about a lot of things, but being liked is not necessarily one of them. A fourth principle that Kissinger lists is as interesting as it is unexpected. Solitude. Great leaders make space for solitude. Sadat developed his reflective habits when he was in prison. Adenauer spent time in a monastery. Thatcher made her most consequential decisions in the early morning hours. Nixon withdrew to Camp David and de Gaulle frequented his country home whenever he could. It's beyond the scope of today's sermon, but it's a fascinating subplot of Kissinger's book, his reflections on the deleterious effects of living in a world where human attention is thin-sliced by way of the constant news cycle, social media, and the internet. A world where the average teen will scroll through their social media accounts daily at a length equivalent to the height of the Chrysler building. Our attention spans have been diminished to the point that we've lost the ability to think historically, analytically, strategically, and long-term. Decisive as each of Kissinger's leaders were, each understood the value of taking time to themselves, to process, to plan, to separate the significant from the insignificant, perhaps to recharge their minds and souls in the face of the wear and tear of their leadership roles. All of which, no doubt, is why Moses not only went up that mountain, but stayed there for so long. Why should we be surprised that Moses, having just led the people out of Egypt and through the sea, with the march through the desert ahead of him, would choose to take a bit of time for himself and God? 
to refresh, to revisit first principles for himself so that he could lead the people whom he was called on to serve. Sometimes we all need to press pause, recalibrate, get realigned, and think long term. Kissinger points out that five of the six leaders he profiles came from devout religious upbringings. Best I know, Kissinger is not a religious man. His point's not a plea for faith. Rather, it's the habits instilled in these leaders by way of their faith, self-reflection, self-control, self-mastery, taking the long view, that are also the great attributes by which great statecraft is founded, something no doubt the founder of our faith well understood. Number five, and finally, and perhaps most importantly, each leader Kissinger profiles is able to craft a shared narrative by which to draw together a culturally diffuse people. Sadat did so after Nasser in Egypt. De Gaulle did so throughout his career. The example about which Kissinger spoke the other night, about which I know the least, was Lee Kuan Yew of Singapore, who was able to take an island composed of three different societies and ethnicities, Chinese, Malay, and Indian, and bring them together as a Singapore nation, linguistically, educationally, economically, and otherwise. Here, leadership is defined not so much in the act of doing bold deeds or delivering hard truths, but rather crafting a shared history, giving voice to a collective identity, and sharing a shared destiny. It was on this leadership quality more than any other that I felt Kissinger to be speaking not just about historical leaders, but about a leadership crisis in the present. The paucity of leaders today, able and willing to construct a narrative capable of bonding people together of diverse background. And nobody did this better than Moses, taking a ragtag group of enslaved Hebrews who had nothing in common and bringing them together. Moses demanded that Israel know their history, that they remember the days of old. He brought them together at Mount Sinai to establish a shared covenant. He set out before them a common destiny for the generations to follow. Not for nothing do we refer to Moses as Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses our teacher. For all of his leadership attributes, perhaps his most impactful and enduring was as a national pedagogue, his ability to bring Israel together under one story. From Moses to Kissinger. Five aspects of leadership. Meritocracy, vision, bold action, solitude, and building a shared narrative. They are all interrelated, and I'm sure there are others. But perhaps the most interesting is the realization that the measure of these leaders, nor for that matter any leader, is not whether they actually achieve their stated goal. Sadat was assassinated. Thatcher's fall in Kissinger's word had a Shakespearean air to it. And Nixon, we all know what happened to Nixon. Each of these leaders, among so many others, would take solace in the knowledge that not even Moses reached the promised land. As Kafka wrote, Moses fails to enter Canaan not because his life is too short, but because it's a human life. And so we take solace in that image as described in the final words of this week's Torah reading, when Moses is famously taken up to the top of Mount Nebo 
and permitted to view the land, the land he would not enter. The rabbis comment that God permitted Moses not just to view the land before him, but the generations to follow, right up to our very own. Moses may never have crossed the Jordan, but he was comforted, as are we, knowing that his leadership legacy would extend beyond his lifetime and into the distant future. A powerful and comforting image, but also probably the most important and counterintuitive leadership lesson of all. The measure of a leader is never about that leader. It is about whether the values of that leader extend beyond their lifetime. Moses achieved it, and it remains the bar to which we should all aspire. A lesson not just for people about whom we read about in books, but about the books of our own lives that yet remain to be written. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. See you in shul.